This is uh, Paul Schneiderman today, the 143rd edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on RainyRavenueRadio.world. And my special guest today is University of Washington football legend Mark Bruner. Mark also had a 14-year distinguished professional football career. Mark, I'll get back to you in a minute. My podcast is now on Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, Google, iTunes, Podbeam. You can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.net to listen to some of my shows. And you can also go by just clicking Sports Untold YouTube, and you can watch some of the video uh, versions of my show. My producer, uh, Libby Coyne, doing a great job. Known Olivia's family for years. Olivia's been with me for, I don't know, six or seven months now. Uh, all right, back, Mark, back to you. Uh, Mark Bruner, as I mentioned, is University of Washington Husky football legend. Uh, Mark was known as a great blocking tight end, uh, although he caught a good chunk of passes, too, in his NFL and college careers. Mark was a uh, All-American in 1993. Mark was a first-round pick in the 95 NFL draft. Uh, Mark played, what, nine years for the Steelers and five for the Houston Texans. Okay, I hope I got that right. Mark's currently a scout for the Steelers, which we'll talk about. And uh, I haven't seen Mark in years, but we were friends in uh, the college fraternity, University of Washington, Lambda Chi Alpha House. And Mark was a very well-liked and a very well-liked guy. And uh, just a little fun story I'll tell Mark. Um, that there are a bunch of guys, you probably don't remember this, Mark, a bunch of guys in the lunchroom were asking me questions about the Huskies and football and just pounding you about everything. And, and I was definitely participating and drilling you with some questions. And Mark just said, Hey guys, let's take a break. I don't know what you're up to, Paul. What are you up to? You know, you just thought, I'll never forget that. You just sort of be the be the, the nice guy you are. You just sort of said, hey, let's take a break. Let's talk about you guys for a minute. So uh, I, I, I always got to kick out the way you handled a uh, uh, bunch of fans asking you lots of Husky football questions and stuff. So, well, Mark, it's been a long time. And it's it's great to have you uh, come on uh, Sports Untold podcast also on Rainier Radio. I, I appreciate you having me on, Paul. I really do. And I, I know you've had some of my teammates on in the, in the weeks past and uh, very exciting. And for, for me to be able to come on your show this week, uh, I, I'm just extremely excited about it. And we get to talk about what I love to do and what's been a part of my life for a lot of years. And that's football. And, Absolutely. Uh, I, that, that to me, I could, I could, I could talk forever on. And you bring up some, some great memories of the, the Lambda Chi house and some, some of our dearest friends, uh, the friendships were started back then. And, and for those to continue on now, uh, several years later, uh, I say several because um, you really tell how old you are when you say, oh, you know, 25 years later or 30 years, years later. So I just say several years. That way it, it doesn't put us in the box as far as how old definitely, we really are. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I, I'm just going to say I'm 33 years old, Mark. So. There you go. I like that. I like the way you think. Yeah, well, Mark, you, you know, think. as you mentioned a minute ago, football's been such a big part of your life. What talk about how you got the football bug growing up in Aberdeen, Washington, and tell us about what resulted in your decision to attend the University of Washington. What was your second choice um, of the schools you recruited by? But start with start with uh, just how you got the bug as a kid growing up in Aberdeen. So I, I played multiple sports growing up, and that was one of the things my parents encouraged all the kids to do is to to, to try different sports. Uh, my first year of contact football wasn't until seventh grade, junior high. This It wasn't offered uh, back then. It was flag football at the little Catholic school that I went to. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed basketball. Uh, I, basketball was really my first love. Uh, I love, I really, really enjoyed football, but basketball, I thought I was, I was going to be an NBA player. Well, then I reached my vertical potential early and topped out at six foot four. And I realized that I didn't have the ball handling skills to be a point guard because that's about the size of the, the true professional point guards. Um, and I said, all right, well, a six foot four post is not going to work. 
and continued to have my love and uh, affinity towards football and was fortunate enough to uh, receive some scholarship offers. And I'll never forget, I received my first recruiting letter. I was sitting in my math class, geometry class, and uh, Mr. Waite uh, was the teacher. And it was from the University of Notre Dame. And it was just one of those just generic, I mean, they probably sent out thousands of them. But for me, it was like the coolest thing in the world. Fill out all your private, your personal information. And, uh, you know, we all cheated on this, but, you know, your your height, your weight, your bench press, and your 40. I mean, we, I, I think I had a 400-pound bench press back then as a sophomore in high school, which really, come on, nobody does that. Uh, uh, so that that was something that uh, I, I I know that will always stick with me. And you know, I, my senior years when the recruiting visit started, my parents were extremely involved and supportive throughout that. Um, my first recruiting trip ever was to University of Notre Dame. Lou Holtz was a coach, um, had a great experience back there. But for me, it was too far away. You know, there in Illinois, South Bend, Indiana, I uh, I just said, ah, it's it's a little too far. And uh, had some other opportunities on the West Coast. Uh, Stanford was, uh, Denny Green was the coach there at Stanford at the time. And my parents really wanted me to go to Stanford. My mom in particular. My mom um, there on the visit, uh, you know, was obviously being the, the great mom that she is. And, you know, every time she had a chance to say, go Stanford, she was saying it. So my, we introduced my, my parents at one of the, the events we were at. And my dad, hey, I'm Fred Bruner. I'm Mark Bruner's dad and go Huskies. And you want to talk about some Stanford alumni turning around going, what in the heck's going on here? Like it was, it was uh, almost pandemonium, but it was all in good spirit, all in good fun. Uh, I get home from that recruiting trip and Stanford is written on my pillowcase and red, red marker for my mom. Like she really wanted me to dream about going to Stanford. And then when I committed to the University of Washington, uh, she didn't talk to me for three days. She said uh, that I made the mistake in my, my life and, and how could I do that? And uh, I, for a minute there, I was second guessing myself, but, uh, Randy Hart, who is still a great friend of mine today was the gentleman that recruited me there. Don James was the head coach and they had numerous, uh, head coaches or coaches, excuse me, that, uh, I grew, uh, you know, fond of and the, the whole atmosphere being close to home, uh, just the culture there that coach James had at the University of Washington to me was exceptional amongst, uh, of any of the schools that I went to. Now there was great culture at Stanford. I want to be really clear. Notre Dame with who holds great culture, but it just was that much better at Washington. Um, and then uh, the first game that, that I played in uh, my freshman year was down at Stanford and we beat them 42 to seven. So my mom and dad are in the parking lot uh, of the game after the game. And I said, mom, I said, aren't you glad I didn't go to Stanford? And, you know, she's laughing and joking and stuff. And that was our national championship year. So that was really a dream year for us to, to, for me to be a part of and for us to, to, you know, really experience and what a way to kick off your college career. Uh, to go to a school you want, win a national title, and and, and not lose a game. You know, it, it's it's funny you mentioned the Stanford connection. Um, Greg Lewis's mom has something in common with your mom. Greg's mom really wanted him to go to Stanford too. So uh, well, we we both have smart moms. Lewis, yeah, yeah. I, I actually I just saw Greg uh, coming back from the championship game. We flew on the same plane. And it's so nice that he's still involved and, and does the, the radio and, and with uh, Coach Baird. And uh, I, I just, I really enjoy him. And I think he does an outstanding job uh, with, with his role there with uh, the game day broadcast that he's a part of. Greg's been on my show. He's a, he's a personal friend. He's a great guy. Um, you know, one, one other thing, Mark, you mentioned being six foot four. Um, Charles Barkley was a good six foot four uh, big man kind of player, though. 
Good point. Good point. But for some reason, I think he he wasn't his nickname the the mound round rebound or something along those lines. Yeah. yeah, like like he had a kind of larger girth than than a lot of people, and, and a much it. bigger much bigger backside. So when he wanted to box out some of those other players, they they didn't really have a lot of room to get around him. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I I I bet you could hold your own basketball, Mark. You know, Mark, you had so many great moments, University of Washington, and um, I want to ask about your favorite moment as a Husky player. Was it that famous catch you made in that uh, Rose Bowl game? That was that was definitely a highlight. I mean, like. Uh, there's there's so many great things that came from that. You know, here I'm a freshman. I'm playing in the national championship. I didn't know at the time it was a national championship game because, you know, we shared things back then as far as the AP and the coaches. Um, like, it was a pivotal moment in the game. You know, we, we were able to get get up up with that and then never look back. 34-14, uh, to 14, I think, was the final score. Um, and there's been numerous times where that play has come up, and it's been a pretty amazing thing. Um, prime example, we're, we're there with my family watching the Huskies play Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. And we're sitting, you know, really good seats uh, uh, there behind the bench. And they showed that replay. You know, they show the replays during the games, you know, historical catches and things. Well, the guy behind us goes, man, that'd be so cool to meet that guy. And my son Carson turns back and he goes, do you want to meet him? And the guy's like, yeah, what are you talking about? And he goes, hey, dad, this guy wants to meet you. And I turn around and I shake his hand. And it was like, to see the expression on his face. I mean, he's a diehard Husky fan. And, you know, for me, I'm so honored that this guy would actually, you know, be excited to meet me and be with my family. But like, it was all because of that one play. And like that, that's just exciting. It really is. And it's special. And it, it resonates with our family significantly. For some of the listeners and viewers who may not remember or be aware of Mark's catch, it was a very, you, you, you utilize, it was a catch of Mark utilized amazing footwork to stay in the end zone towards the back of the end zone. Is that a bad way to describe it? So uh, It was kind of a drag route. Bill Joe Holbert was a quarterback, and um, they referred to it as tiptoeing along the end line because I literally was, the first two steps, I was literally tiptoeing to make sure I was in bounds. So yeah, it was, so they game. say, they say, Paul, it's a game of inches, and that definitely is an example of a game of inches. No doubt. I should have put up a video of that play as part of like a, you know, like a lot of the big <laughs> have the videos they when they're I, my podcast is more basic, but I should put up a video on that. So yeah. Uh yeah. Mark, who so many amazing Husky football players. I asked uh, Eric B. Works this question, a couple other uh, Husky football players. Uh, who is who's your favorite Husky football player in history? Oh gosh. That's really tough to tell. I can I'll give you some that I've always enjoyed. Yeah, uh, some of my, my favorite teammates that I played with: uh, Napoleon Kaufman, Ernie Conwell, Damian Heward, uh, Eric Bjornson. And I'm not saying that because he was recently on your show. I'm saying sure. that because he, he was a good friend. Uh, Donald Jones, uh, Donovan Schmidt, uh, Leif Johnson, uh, Dana Hall, Walter Bailey, um, Steve Atman, Dave Hoffman, James Clifford. Um, uh, you know, players that I revered. You know, as a kid growing the Paul Scanzies, the Kerry Conklins. Uh, um, you know, uh, Donald Jones. Um, so many. After after I've left, like some of the players that have really, really impressed me, um, you know, the Buda Bakers, um, the Sidney Joneses, the um, Danny Sheltons, Vita Veyes, um, you know, Jake Lockhart. Um, and I know I'm leaving out a bunch, and I apologize. I, I, there was no uh, ill will with this, but like – there's just so many great players, and, and uh, we recently had a recruiting weekend with uh, Coach Fish, the new head coach, 
And they had several of us alumni that were there. And, you know, Mario Bailey, um, Lloyd Malloy. And we were asked to talk to the group about what Husky football means to us. And everybody had different comments to say. But the common theme was how special it was to develop the relationships of the players that we had in the locker room at the time when we played. You know, there's 115 guys, 120 guys, and you develop a, a, a really tight tight bond with them because you experience a lot of things and you deal with adversity, so many emotional things that you deal with. Uh, but one of the common things that we had amongst everybody that was speaking was is to this day, even though it's been 15, 20, 30 years for some of us, we're still really close and we still care about each other. And that bond that you make is a life, lifetime bond as a Husky player. And now that I have two sons that are on the team and, and a part of this, I'm like so excited that they get to experience that type of bond with their teammates that, that I have to this day right now. So it's pretty Love special. It. You want to go way back, Mark, the late Hugh McElhaney was a great Husky. There's, yeah. so many, there's just so many. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ray Penny, you know, the center. I know it's not a sexy position, but no. offensive center. And, and no. he was actually a Pittsburgh Steeler. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Paul Scanzi is a dear friend of mine, and, and he scouts for the Washington Commanders. And I still talk about the, watching him play, not only as a Husky, but then as a Seattle Seahawk. And he, again, was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I, I know I'm just kind of weird that both oh, of those guys were. Oh, Scanzi from Gig Harbor, right? Yeah, Gig Harbor. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I remember yeah. watching him growing up. Yeah. So, you know, I've talked to Don. Don James is probably one – name that's come up a lot on my podcasts with you know seattle-based podcasts and um don james's name comes up a lot um i can ask you so many questions about don james so why don't you just kind of share a memory of don james and did you find don james intimidating that's kind of the vibe i get from some of the people i've interviewed about don james 100 percent intimidating okay 100 but the thing about coach james was it wasn't like he was like this big and massive impressive like stature of a human being. Like what was impressive to me was his confidence and his ability to relate to everybody. And what am I saying by relate to everybody is he had a different way he went about it. And he coached, the, if the player, if I was making a mistake on the practice field during the game, he would coach the coach to say, you got to get Bruno right. He wouldn't yell at me. He would, would he would be, you know, stern with the, with the position coach. And, while I was going through it, like we were deathly afraid of really any stirring the pot in any way, shape or form. There was the meeting started at 11 o'clock. Well, there was real time and there was DJ time. And Coach James time was always 15 minutes early. So while you're going through it, you're a 20, 21 year old college kid. And you're like, man, this guy's got the, all these blasted rules. I can't believe it. It's terrible. Like, why do I got to be in my seat at 15 minutes early? Like think of the world's going to end. And why is he so difficult? So we would be in team meetings and, um, We'd all be sitting there 15 minutes early. And if there was, the door would open and a player would come in like 10 minutes early, still ample time to be in a seat, we would all look at him like, what the heck are you doing, man? Like, you get your seat. Like, don't be doing that. So, like, those things that he instilled in us were lifelong lessons and lifelong things. And, like, I try to be early when I'm there. And it's not always practical. But we would joke. And I talked about the relationship that the players had. You know, here it is 20, 20 years later. Well, we still talk about DJ time and how we would always be, you know, in our chairs early. And those are some of the fond memories. And, you know, after my playing days, I remember I was at Steve Sarkeesian had a golf tournament at Suncadia. And this is when, obviously, when Coach James was still alive. And my wife and I were there. We were going in the elevator. I see Coach James and Carol, his wife. 
And Carol was like the sweetest lady in the world. Like she knew all the players and was endearing to everybody. And Coach James walks in the elevator and I said, hey, coach, how you doing? I said, I'm – and as soon as I said – I was going to say Mark Bruner, you know, because it's been a lot of years. He sure. goes, Mark, how, how you doing? He said, have you been back to Aberdeen to see your folks lately? And I'm just like, man, this has been like 15 years, maybe more since I've seen this guy. And immediately he's got my name, where I'm from. And that to me is of the hundreds of athletes or thousands of athletes that he's been around from, from Kent State all the way to Washington. Um, that's extremely impressive. That's those are again yeah. James a little more like approachable after you played karma in some ways. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And I don't know if it was me or if it was him that I just felt like he was more approachable. Love it, love it. Yeah, he was a famous yeah. coach, very successful coach, Don James. Yeah, or you yeah. were the uh, number one. You were the number twenty-seven pick in the ninety-five NFL draft. Really cool. You were first round draft pick. Um, tell us about getting the call that you were picked in the first round by the Pittsburgh Steelers. It wasn't expected. Did you see yourself being picked by the Steelers? Well, that was in nineteen ninety-five, and back that's when the draft was different. It was only two days. Um, they didn't, you know, do the the big red carpet event, you know, where they had guys were in suits and they, they changed colors and all that stuff. Uh, so I was at my parents' house in, in Westport. And um, I remember getting the call and we were watching the draft. And just as the 27th pick came up, you know, because the commissioner gets up and says, hey, uh, you know, the 26th picks, the Carolina Panthers select, you know, so-and-so. Now the Steelers are on the clock. And as soon as they said Steelers were on the clock, the phone rang. And, hey, is this Mark? Yeah, this is Mark. How you doing? Um, hold on. And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, who is this? And like, what's going on here? Like, I'm trying to watch the draft and I'm trying to see if like I'm going to get picked here. And like, it was like, oh my gosh. So I'm watching, I'm watching the, the, the ticker go by and then the commissioner gets on and says, hey, with the 27th pick, Pittsburgh Steelers select Mark Bruner, tied in from University of Washington. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then people get on the phone and say, hey, this is Coach Cower. Congratulations. We, you know, we're excited to get you. And, you know, and then you start going through the gamut. Um, but that like two minutes felt like two hours when they they say, Hey, is this Mark? Yeah, this is Mark. Okay, hold on. And they don't tell me who they are. So I have no idea. It could have been, you know, the neighbor down the street or some Yahoo. <laughs> I don't know. And this is this is before cell phones too. So this is a landline. Right. right. And you know, you <laughs> I don't want to be holding up the line if someone else is trying to call, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, that was exciting. Very exciting. My, my whole family was there and, and my wife, um, you know, Tracy was there to share that experience with me. And um, it, it's it's so amazing just how fast time goes and when you reflect back on it and and really, re, you know, cherish some of those memories and relive some of those memories. It really it really is a, f- a fun thing to do. Did you get any tips the Steelers were interested in you, Mark? Uh, uh, they flew me back for a pre, pre-draft interview. Um so, but then other teams did too. So it wasn't like it was unusual, like they were the only team that did that. Um, you know, I, I had a, I thought I had a good meeting back there with uh, Coach Cower and, and Tom Donahoe, the general manager at the time. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, there was rumors I was going to go to the Washington Redskins at the time. There was rumors I was going to go to the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and then, you know, the Steelers were, Cleveland Browns was another one. So I, Kyle Brady was the first pick, uh, first tight end chosen that year to the New York Jets at number nine. And then I was the second tight end chosen by the Steelers. 
Mark, I can ask you about your first game and feel free to share about that in the NFL. But what was it like being a kid from Aberdeen, a UW kid, and walking in to an NFL headquarters or NFL locker room the first time to meet a lot of the guys? Because there were some veteran players and the Steelers that were really well-known players. What was it like walking in for the first time, meeting a lot of the guys? It was, it's, it's a whirlwind. I mean, it's overwhelming. Uh, and there's a lot of people that are in the same boat that I am as far as like, oh, my gosh, like really wide-eyed. Um, you know, being fortunate to come from a great university like the University of Washington, I think they did a really good job of preparing me from uh, a personal standpoint, um, you know, just maturing and learning how to deal and be professional. And that was, that was you know, largely due to the coaches and the interaction I had with the coaches and the other staff members there. Um, and then the academic portion, you know, uh, Gertrude Peoples and, and Rob Post were the two people that I really dealt with a lot. And they made sure all those affairs were in order. So then I could, you know, immerse myself into that environment. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was overwhelming. I mean, there was some Hall of Fame players, Rod Woodson, Greg Lloyds, Kevin Greens, um, Justin Strelzik, uh, John Jackson, uh, Neil O'Donnell. Um, you know, my, my, in my draft class that year was myself, Cordell Stewart, Brendan Stye, Lethon Flowers. Dante Jones, like, you know, all these people from all over the country. And and here we're together working with the steel organization. And, you know, the, the Rooney family are definitely as advertised as far as how genuine and amazing they are. And right away, Mr. Rooney, Dan Rooney, um, uh, the he was the ambassador to Obama during his term, was our president. And just the way they go about it and the way the Rooneys would go about welcoming the new players to the organization, I think is unique. And, the amazing thing is it's still the same way today. When new players come in, the Rooney family does it very similar to how it was with me, just being welcoming and very endearing to the family and to the players and their families as they're entering into the Pittsburgh area. That's a real old school, respected NFL family, the Rooney ownership. So yeah. Yeah. like you, you worked uh, under with a good franchise, you know, yeah. as a player. Yeah. Well, Mark, I want you to kind of put on your perspective as a parent and as a UW football alum, you have two sons that play the University of Washington football team now. Um, what's just your take? And, and maybe combine those two perspectives if you want, because it could be somewhat different with Kaylin DeBoer leaving and, and Jed Fish being hired as a new coach. Uh, kind of kind of put on the parent perspective and the Husky alum perspective. Well, um extremely tough i think the college football game football college football has changed drastically since when i played when you and i both were in school and i think it's also changed drastically in the last five to seven years um it's always been a a, a money driven uh per se uh sport it's it's been one of the highest earning revenue sports amongst many universities justfully so you know there's a lot of attention and, and, and i'm glad that they've made some advancements in paying the players and giving them uh, at least a portion of the pie that's being uh, generated as far as revenue goes. Um, the loyalty, I think, has changed. Um, so as a Husky alum, uh, I was really bummed that, that coach, coach left after two years. Um, as a parent, my, my, both my sons were extremely disappointed. Like, wait a minute, like, what happened? I'm just finally getting used to what's going on, and look what we did. Um yeah, Carson will have four head coaches in his college career there at University of Washington. And it's it's unusual because, like, when I was there, it was, like, Don James and Jim Owens, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying my numbers are great, but, like, it might have been 35 or 40 years in two coaches. So that's that's unusual. 
to have that happen. Um, but then with current times, as a parent, I got to tell my son, look, this is another chance for you to grow. This is another chance for you to look at this adversity that you're facing and say, you know what, I'm going to get to know a new coach. I'm going to get to know a new system. Uh, my goal is to play in the NFL. So this is actually going to make you more versatile and more appealing to what what I look for as a, as an NFL scout because this guy's a smart kid. And he can he can learn multiple defenses. Well, he's been forced to, and that to me is an advantage. So there's a lot of a lot of pause that I have to some degree. But then I look back at what Coach DeVore and his staff did, and they made us nationally relevant. The last time we were in that type of a situation was was yours and my freshman year at Washington in 1991. So we have to be so grateful for what he and his staff did for the University of Washington. And now the players in that locker room understand what they need to do to get back there. So that to me is something that they need to draw from. And if they didn't have this, this coaching staff and, and that experience, then they wouldn't know what, what really it takes to get there. So I think there's a lot of pluses you can take from it. Uh, you know, disappointment. Yes. But now we have a great new coach in Jed fish. I've had a chance to interact with him and, He's, he's shown a lot of success down there at Arizona. So let's see what he and his staff can do. Uh, there's still a lot of talent in, in that in that locker room and in that building. And I think they can utilize that in the right way. And it, it'll be good. Mark, you know, I think a lot of parents listening, would, I think, will appreciate hearing your parent parental approach to your son's look. This is part of growing up as a person and developing, dealing with changes. That's anyhow, I'm not a parent, but it sounds like a positive way of looking at it. So. Well, we're all faced with adversity in our lives, whatever whatever that adversity is. Sometimes it's extreme, sometimes it's not. And not everything is going to go how we want it. And I really think that the, the, how someone reacts to adversity is really the sign of their true character. And, and again, I'm not wishing adversity on anybody. Let's sure. be really clear with that. But we're all going to be faced with adversity, whatever that might be. And it's we see people and how they react when they're faced with some challenges and you're like, Oh my gosh, that's, that's not the way I want to react. But for Carson to, to look at this as like, it's a chance for me to grow. Well, now his leadership has to step up. Uh, now he's got to find a way to, to keep this team together. He's got to find a way to communicate with the co new coaching staff say, Hey, what do you want us to do as far as the culture in this locker room? And then he's going to be one that's going to help implement that to, to the rest of his teammates. So uh, I think there could be some positives from it. I really do. Yeah, no, I, I I like hearing your perspective. Um, Mark, I'm kind of curious about your, you have a unique background. I mean, you're a college football American, 13 years NFL or 14 years NFL. You're a you're an NFL scout. Um, just coaching, you know, having two kids that are football players. What what tell us about that? Are, are you the kind of parent that would step in and say? This coach could, needs to fix how he's doing the drills. I'm picking up on some things. Or tell us about that, Mark, because you have so much more background about football than most other parents have. Tell us your kind of philosophy of how to deal with because your knowledge base is so good. Do you, do you share that knowledge a lot, or do you, are you kind of restrained about it? Well, when the older boys were younger, I tried to be their youth coach and be as, as present as I could, even while I was still playing. And yeah. it wasn't because I thought I knew all the answers. It was because I wanted to be sure that they were taught the right way and safe way to play. Sure. And so I never, I've never ever taken, taken the stance of pounding my chest and saying, Hey, because of, of my name on the back of my shirt or, or what I do did at the time. And that I'm better than you, or I have understand or I'm more, I'm more knowledgeable than you. So that means that I, I 
just get out of my way and let me take over. Like I've never done that. I've always been, how am I going to improve, help improve either what, how this coach is coaching or how, how am I going to improve this experience for this young person? And I remember when we were in Houston, um, the, the coaches uh, would basically, all right, here, here's the starters. And then for all you, everybody else, you just stand over there. And so I'm watching and I'm like, man, we got like seven kids that are standing there, like kicking the grass and doing nothing. Like there's gotta be a way we can kind of work with these guys. So this, I, I said, Hey coach, you mind if I just kind of work with some of these players? So I'm working with them a little bit. And, uh, and he comes over and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm just trying to keep these kids active and get them involved in stuff. Yeah. And he goes, well, you got any football background? I said, yeah, I do a little bit. You know, I, <laughs> I, I played a little bit and uh, he's like, well, yeah, go ahead. You're doing great. And so then the next practice I show up and he's like, Hey, are you going to work with those kids again? I said, yeah, if you don't mind. So I continued to do that. Why had a parent come up to me and say, I'm so appreciative of you doing that with my son because last year all he did was stand there right. and he didn't want to play football this year. So I was like, all right, I've done something well. I'm doing, doing okay. And then I move here back to Seattle after I retire and boys, we signed him up for flight football. Yeah. And we're at Redmond high school and my, and lo and behold, my neighbor's actually the coach. So I show up, how you doing? My name is Mark. Uh, Here's my two sons. Uh, anything I can do to help, please let me know. And so he's like, great. You know, so here, you know, we, we only have seven or eight players on the team. So it's not like it's a big deal, but I still wanted to be there for my kid. And um, uh, we're going through the practice and then we have the game. Everything goes great. Hey, thanks for letting me come. I appreciate it. So the next week I show up and he goes, hey, hey, Sandbagger. And I said, Sandbagger, what are you talking about? And you know where I'm going here. And he goes, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> so then I'm like, tell you what, buddy. And he goes, I don't know, maybe you played in the NFL. <laughs> and I just said, hey, I'm just here to help out the kids, you know, to be a part of it. So uh, uh, I've always taken that approach. And I followed the boys through high school. And I always stay out. I always take the stance of unless I'm there at practice in the meeting, then I don't make an opinion on what the, what the coach is doing or calling. And uh, rotation. Um, you know, like, hey, wish I wish my kid would play more, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that, that's not my place. That's the coach's place. Now, there's there's times again more learning things that I can teach my son. Where this a player, maybe I'm just making this up. This player comes in, he's a transfer, and he plays more than him. And he's like, Dad, what's going on? And and I go, you know what? Sometimes coaches have an affinity towards a player that there's nothing you can do about it. No matter how great you play, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. If that if that player just kind of coach loves him. That's just kind of the way it's going to be. So it's going to suck. You're not going to enjoy it, but just deal with it because you can't change it. And, and, you know, a lot of social media, you know, my wife loves to be on social media and I'll be like, you got to stay off it. Like you can't tell Carson that, that, you know, 16 people named John Smith and Joe, Joe Williams is like, Oh, he needs to play more, you know, et cetera, right. et cetera. Uh, because they're not in the meetings. They're not at practice every day and they're not putting their, uh, you know, life on the line to try to get these kids going in the right direction. So, you know, Mark, I, I love everything you share. One thing you mentioned that I really like is how the kids, the reserves, the kids in the sidelines, I like how you reached out to those kids. Those kids may not ever be stars. They may not be, you know, the top athletes, but you want to get those kids included, which I liked, you know, so. Well, sports just bring, does so many great things for people. And again, I'm not trying to say, Hey, everyone needs to be a star. All I'm trying to say is like, you can gain so much from any organized sport. And I'm not saying it has to be football. Um, I, I've played games. I've been all over the world playing football. And if it wasn't for football, I wouldn't have done it. I played a game in Ireland, Tokyo, Japan, um, uh, Mexico City. 
um, uh, I played in all 32 NFL cities. Um, I interacted and met people all over the world that normally I wouldn't have because of football. And I always look at it, it's still the same pure game that I played when I was a kid back in, in you know, the little fields there in Albany, Washington. It's The stakes have gotten bigger. Um, you know, the, obviously there's a huge business and it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, but if you really care about it and you really do it the right way, you can develop relationships that you can have for a lifetime. I have relationships from my college teammates and my pro teammates that last a lifetime. And it's it's been really special. And it's all because of a, a brown uh, oblong football. And like special times, really special times. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. Or, all right. I've asked these two questions too about every guest the last, I don't know, four or five years. And I, I always get amazing answers. Um, who is a living sports figure? Someone who's still with us today. It could be a player, a commissioner, a manager, a coach. Someone who's, who survived, someone who's still with us that you'd love to have a conversation or interview. And who's a deceased sports figure in history you would have loved to have spent some time with? Oh, man. That's that's good. Um, a current player, a current person, I should say, um, I've had a chance to have a lot of cool interactions with uh, the Rooney family and, and the, the former Steelers. So, um, you know, I'm going to go outside the box and um, like, I would say like Franco Harris, you know, there's a guy that I, but I had a chance to interact with him. Um, uh, Joe Green. I worked with Joe Green, mean Joe Green. Like, like these are people that I revered growing up and now I had a chance to work with them. Paul Scanzi, like I idolized growing up, and now I'm a scout. And I get to be in a scouting room with him. So it's like, this is incredible. Um, you know, Chuck Knox would be somebody that I would really enjoy and want to talk to because, like, he he really was the coach for the for the Seattle Seahawks that for my childhood growing up and and kind of was like, man, like that would be so neat to be a Seahawk. So like he kind of helped fuel my fire to be a professional football player. Um, obviously, yeah, I had support with my family. I want to be really clear. Uh, but, like, because he was the head coach, I was like, man, I'd, I'd be kind of cool to, to, to see him and, and to interact with him. And, um, yeah, he's, so. He's so he may be the deceased sports figure would be Chuck Knox. You would have loved to spend time with and interact with? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Yes, yes. And who would be a living sports figure? A living sports figure. Um, There's no wrong answer, by the way, Mark. Either. I know, but but – um, you know, Julio Rodriguez, the baseball player for the Seattle Mariners. Um, Love it. I'm impressed with him. And the reason why I'm impressed with him is because he acts and makes it look like he's playing little league baseball out there. And we were, my, I took my boys in another cool memory maker. We were at the all-star game there because it was hosted here in Seattle. Right. And I think he got a, obviously he got a single where he walked. I don't know. So he, he goes jogging out there to first base and like, I'm just watching his body mannerisms and, and you, the guy he's I don't know what he's 20 years old, maybe 21. Like he's young, but it, he was so giddy and like, so like, like this is so cool. Um, like to me, like that would be kind of neat to talk to him and, and my Spanish oh. isn't very good, but I, I figured that we could get along and figure out a way to, to, to communicate back and forth. And I just like to see like what's inside is like what's his motivation, um, like what's his day to day day to day routine that he likes to do to keep himself young and keep himself excited because I really think that 
that we have a, a Ken Griffey uh, 2.0 type approach uh, with this young man right here. I do. I really you know, do. I love that answer, Mark. Uh, you know who mentioned Julio Rodriguez? I was talking to Olivia, my producer and assistant here, and Olivia uh, several weeks ago said Julio Rodriguez would be living sports figures. She'd love to spend time with. So you wow. and Olivia, producer here. There we here. go. I'm glad that that I'm up to her level. Is all I gotta Absolutely. say. Absolutely. I love how yeah. you. I love how you throw in Chuck Knox, whose name would not come up. So yeah. It's, yeah. So just, I don't want to digress too much, but you get, I get great answers to that question. One guy, a, a local basketball coach, Rick Turner, he answered the living sports figure is that South African runner who got in trouble. He just loved to pick that guy's brain. Um, oh, it started with a P. So he had the ampi- double amputee. Pistorius, right? Pistorius, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah but he, he was said, a double guys, amputee. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the yeah. answers I get are, are always interesting. Yeah. You know? so, of yeah. course, Michael Jordan's come up and, LeBron, you know, but it's, it's interesting yeah. to get some people a little yeah. outside the box. All right, Mark, um, you were a longtime NFL tight end. Uh, who's your favorite tight end in NFL history, other than Mark Brewer? Oh, gosh. Oh, there's a lot of them. Um, Kellen Winslow Sr., uh, Dave Casper, Jay Novacek. Um, uh, respect the heck out of Jason Witten, uh, George Kittle. Um Travis Kelsey, I love the way he plays. Uh, I I really enjoyed the way Gronkowski played. Um, like uh, in today's game, um, I the, the tight end has is morphed to a receiving type tight end. But the Gronks, the Kittles, the Wittens, uh, and the Kelseys, they create such an unusual mismatches and advantages towards the quarter for the quarterback and the offensive play caller that it's it's pretty amazing what they can do. And you see the creativity that uh, Kyle Shannon has in San Francisco and that Andy Reid has in uh, in Kansas City with what they're able to do with those two types of players and what Dallas had when Aikman and Novacek was his security blanket. Uh, and, you know, Kellen Winslow down with the, the Chargers back in the day growing up. And, um, like, the, 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 the position has morphed to what they're able to do and what they're, they're asked to do. And it's it's pretty special what those current players can do and how how they can change the offenses and and well San Francisco was in the championship game and so was Kansas City so that might might tell you something. Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez, John yeah. Mackey, Mike Ditka, so many yep. famous tight ends. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very pick much one so. though. I'm gonna put you on the spot, Mark. Pick one. Oh, pick one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Dave Casper. Great name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Raiders. It was a Raider for some of the listeners. Uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame, I think, is where he went to college, if I recall. And then um, uh, Raiders, yeah. Great player. Mark, yeah. you were known as a blocking tight end in your college NFL playing days, although you had some some cat re- receptions as well. Is there any side of you, Mark, that wishes you got some more passes thrown at you during your college NFL career? You know – we had such an amazing running game at the time. Jerome Bettis was our featured back and one of my favorite teammates of all time, by the way. I had a lot of favorite teammates or great teammates, but uh, Jerome continually comes up and Hines are two people in particular that I would definitely put in that 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 uh, Mount Rushmore teammate type you know category. Uh, so for me, sure, like it would be, yeah, that'd be great to have more passes. I, I'm not trying to deny that in any way, sure. but. But, but like for me to be a, an integral cog in our in our offense, an integral part of getting Jerome, like when we rushed for over 100 yards, like 
like our percentage of winning was was very very strong so like my theory was is hey this is what they're asking me to do let's go out and do the best thing that i can and i enjoyed more than ever to just frustrate the heck out of those defensive ends and outside linebackers that i faced and uh, for them if they're worried about me and not the ball carrier that i'm doing my job um so uh, yeah that would have been cool but I, I don't regret any role, anything that I did with any of the years that I played. I want to be really honest on that one. You helped the teams with what you were assigned to do. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, favorite sports movie? Favorite sports movie? Um, oh, gosh. Blindside, one to come up. Uh, Field of Dreams is, a, is another one that I, I, I really, uh, you know, can can look upon and say that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, those are two that come to my mind right now. Likewise. Uh, I've asked this question a couple of guests. I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, Any Given Sunday with Al Pacino came out in 1999. Did you think that movie was a pretty good, accurate take on football in the late 90s? Uh, I mean, it was Hollywooded up, but uh, like some of the things, you know, like when you interacted with the owner and, and he showed his his, his goof, like, like, hey, this is my team. I Don't tell me what to do type stuff like that. Uh, I think back then you can get away with it. People are more professional now. Uh, in that regard. Um, so, yeah, I uh, I enjoyed that movie. I did. And I thought Pacino did a good job. The Miami Sharks, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like yeah. that movie, but I, I it's I think I asked Ed Cunningham that question, how realistic was was uh, yeah. Sunday. So, yeah. Yeah. And Ed's making movies now, I think. You know, I think he's in the movie business. So. He's all, That guy's into everything. I'm so amazed at him. He's an yeah. impressive human being. Very impressive human being. Definitely, not, definitely a nice guy. Uh, Mark, you played in, in a Super Bowl. I think it was your was it your rookie year or your second year? Fresh, yeah. First year, my first year, uh, we played, played the Dallas in, Cowboys. Former teammate Eric Bjornsson, who played for the Cowboys. Yeah. Um, share us um, a memory of that game. Oh gosh, um, the lights, the camera, like like we played in some amazing games. Like the playoff games in Pittsburgh and everything were incredible. But down there in Arizona, and just the magnitude of that game, it was like you know, the smoke and the pregame and the announcements, like it was to the nth degree. And that's back in 1995. I mean, now it's, it's amazing compared to that, what it is now, but Holy cow, Paul, that, that, that was wow. And, and Leon Lett was one of the players, uh, uh, the Dallas Cowboys that I had face. And uh, we, Larry Brown had two interceptions in that game and um, CNJ Novacek and, and Aikman, uh, it was a special, special game as far as just being a part of it. Granted, we lost, and I was really bummed about that. But like looking back, I was like, man, I played in the Super Bowl. Like that, that, that was incredible. Yeah, incredible. What was it? Kind of odd playing against former teammates like Bjornsson, just in general. Was it always a little odd, or or just all business? Uh, not really, because we didn't face each other per se. You know what I'm saying? He was on offense, I was on offense, so I didn't like face him one on one. So that wasn't all that you know unusual yeah gotcha gotcha yeah. that's really yeah. neat you know, i mean so not a lot of nfl players had the experience playing the super bowl i mean, I, I think i don't think dan marino ever made the super bowl right i mean there's some i think you're right no yeah. i think you're right yeah and he's a hall of famer and, yeah exactly. uh, i yeah, never made a super bowl yeah you mentioned you mentioned playing with jerome bettis you, you kind of maybe read a, a question i was going to have um you also play with some other famous players i believe like heinz ward and cordell stewart uh mm-hmm. you, you were coached by bill cower i can you just share a couple memories of a couple of those guys? Or yeah. For the fans? Hines, Hines was one of the toughest players I've ever played with. Uh, Jerome along those exact same lines. For for someone of Jerome's size, uh, he had the most incredible feet 
uh, as far as nimbleness for a, for a big, big back that he was. Cordell Stewart, you know, just a pure athlete. You know, we started out as a slash role with a quarterback receiver. Um, uh, you know, LeVon Kirkland was a linebacker that we played. You know, was a teammate. Greg Lloyd and Kevin Green were two two amazing players that I played with. Uh, Carnell Lake. Uh, uh, you know, over the years, there was a lot of amazing players that I played with. And uh, it was very, very fortunate. Very fortunate, Paul. Neat, neat. Really famous sports. Yeah. You were happy Caraway, the Hall of Fame? Very much so. It couldn't have been more deserving for him. He, he the thing that was impressive to me is Coach Coward knew how to he knew which hot button each player had. So that's an uncanny uh, ability and an and innate skill for him for a coach to know which because there's there's a lot of players and for him to, to find a way to, to to touch everyone in the right way and get them motivated to me is unique in a good way. Nate Mike Holmgren has a good Hall of Fame case. Yes. Oh, by all means. By all means. Yeah, yeah. Um, when when Cower got in, I heard some armchair fans, you know, suggest, well, if Cower's in, Holmgren should be in. I kind of heard, a, a, you know, some arguments, you know. But, yeah, yeah, but no, I I agree, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mark, what are some differences in the organizations when you played for the Steelers and the Texans? How how are they different, the organizations? And um, I know the Steelers had a little bit better record when you were with them versus the Texans, but how are, how are the franchises different when you played? Uh, well, as we alluded to, the Rooney family um, and the Steel organization, uh, you know, that it's a family run business. And and um, the Houston Texans, Mr. McNair was the founder of that organization. And, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, more of a corporate type atmosphere and, um, and loved it. Both sides love both both organizations, but it just the family run organization and then i was also there for a long time and it was also more established you know i was there year two uh through year seven of the, the texans organization so they were still trying to understand how they wanted to run things not that it was wrong or right it was just they were understanding how they wanted to run things uh so both both organizations i i was extremely proud of and pleased that i was able to work for them and then now i still get to work for the steelers and my yeah, i'm gonna ask about your scouting experience and yeah. in a that you're doing now in a minute, but I want to back up for a minute. Um, what is a, a first of all, who, who you're going to predict uh, in the Super Bowl this year? Uh, I want to know who you who you're rooting for and who you're going to predict. And what is a what is a Bruner family Super Bowl party like? T tell us about that. Uh, Gosh, yeah. Uh, my prediction: I think it's going to be San Francisco in, in Baltimore uh, for the Super Bowl, and um, you know, Bruner family. Uh, one thing that, that you do, like when you go to some parties or some events, you know, people kind of watch the game, but they really don't watch the game. Right. At our house, you're watching the game. I bet. So like, like, you know, we get our food ready, we get everything ready, but it, there's, it's a social event, but it's not like this, like whatever, like, oh yeah, the game's going on over here and we'll just continue to talk. Like we're, we're focused and we're dialed in. So that, that's that. So when you want to come to a Super Bowl party or a sports watching party at the Bruner household, um, get up, get there early so you can talk and chatter. But then once the game starts, you know, let's get a game face. Study, you're studying it. Yeah. 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 Hey, can we pause just for a second, Paul? So I, 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 uh, I want to ask you a, more, a little about your scouting work. And I had on a guest on my show, not the tight end, Greg Olson, the longtime NFL assistant, Greg Olson. And uh, Greg was a Seahawks quarterbacks coach this yep. season. Great guy. We become yep. friends. Well, um, Greg, had shared with me and he, he said this when he was on my show that it, it's really tough to pick a good quarterback 
that most of the quarterbacks picked, they can be amazing college players, but the NFL is another level. Greg mentioned that. It's, it's hard to, to pick a good quarterback. Do you find that with other positions too, Mark, trying to pick yes. a okay. – Offensive linemen now uh, are really difficult because rarely will you see a guy in a, in a three-point stance. Uh, the college game has become such a lateral uh, passing game uh, that they don't need to hold their blocks very long. So it's it's offensive linemen are really tough. Um, receivers, you know, either can you catch the ball and get open or not? Like that's that's not all that hard. Um, interior defensive linemen. Uh, I'm not talking about the edge rushers, the the um, the folks that, that are on the outside as much as uh, the interior defensive linemen, the Cortez Kennedys. It's tough to find those guys anymore because. The, the ball is so out is out so much quicker and defenses are in 60, 65% sub, not their base fronts. So those type of guys are kind of tough. Um, the fullbacks are becoming extinct. Uh, the, the two back offenses are, are not, not as prevalent anymore. Um, so, yeah. So finding those type of guys is, is kind of tough. It really is. Kickers and putters are a little less complicated, right? Yeah, it's pretty simple. Hey, can you kick it through the upright? Now, I will say that we try to, uh, like, with kickers and punters, at least for us, um, I want I want to see them if they've been exposed to cold weather, cold temperature. Because if you're a Florida kicker, for instance, I'm just making this up, and yeah. you've never never experienced any cold weather or seen snow before, that could be pretty traumatic for for someone like you. You know, not you personally, but for someone yeah. like that yeah. like player. Um, quarterbacks, I like to see them throw in adverse uh, situations because, again, you're you're in Los Angeles or Arizona, uh, or you're not going to see a lot of cold weather games unless you're. I mean, granted, maybe you're going to play in the Apple Cup uh, if you're in the Pac-12, but r- really, you it's you got to kind of hunt and pack and try to be selective when you're looking at some of these guys to see if they're going to play in that like elements to what they're going to be with us. Now, Mark, as a Steelers scout, are you traveling around the country a lot, or, or is it more of a virtual thing these days? We're watching a lot of videos. Tell me about, um, you know, kind of Reg- It's more regional. It's more regional. Um, but we usually are defined by areas. And uh, for the last, you know, 11 or 12 years, I have uh, been, you know, in the West Coast primarily, uh, Mountain West, Pac-12. Um, you know, I'll do parts of Texas at times. Um, uh, but, no, I've really, really enjoyed working for the organization. And, um, you know, we, we scout anybody. We're not just position specific. We, we will we go into a school and we might look at a kicker, a defensive tackle and a quarterback. Or it's, it's really whoever they recommend. We try to find Steeler type players for us. Mark, I want to ask this question. And I remember years ago, and not to pick on Ryan Leaf. I mean, he's definitely a change guy. But years ago, I, I read there was some sports psychologists, one or two, that were advising the Chargers not to pick Ryan Leaf. They thought that Ryan Leaf psychologically just had, had a lot of issues at that point in his life. Do, do you guys, um, do psychologists play a role in, in, in a lot of this stuff and deciding who to draft and stuff? We, we do a full comprehensive analysis on these players. And um, we, we, we go from the medical uh, to the mental, uh, to the physical, um, to when, when they meet Mr. Rooney. That's my litmus test. My litmus test is if I introduce this player to Mr. Rooney, is he going to walk away like, wow, that was a nice young man? Or, wow, I don't really care if I meet him or talk to him again. Uh, because I want to bring in Steeler-type players that are going to represent our organization the right way, uh, represent in the right way in the community, 
represent the organization the right way on the football field and also in the locker room uh, because you need those those components to be the right right type of person uh, to, that's going to fit in our organization and help us win. Uh, so we do a full comprehensive analysis on these guys. And, and there might be, um, you know, every team does it differently. There might be more psychological with team A than in team B. Uh, but a lot of times we just go with our gut feeling. Like yeah. after you interact and you meet the guy and you're like, mm, I don't know if that's going to work or not. And you, I wasn't you know, trying to pick on Ryan Leaf. I just wanted no, to no, no. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, of, but you know, yeah. Uh, uh, well, and he, he came out in the Peyton Manning uh, draft. So the Colts picked Manning, and Chargers picked uh, Leaf. And from what I was told, uh, the Colts were really seesawing back and forth. Like one day, okay, we're going with Leaf, and then next day, oh my gosh, we're going to go with Manning, and then the next day, no, oh, we're back with Leaf, and then oh, we're back with Manning. So, like, it's it's a it's a very subjective uh, decision that you're making. And, I mean, the brain, um, these kids, 21, 22 years old, 23 yeah. years old, the brain is still developing. I mean, I, you know, yeah. so, yeah, I agree. So, uh, um, you I know, agree. I thought I knew everything at 21, 22, but your, your brain is still developing. <laughs> we, we all did. We all did. Yeah, right. right. We all did. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mark, yeah. I may ask you about one more subject. I'll let you go. Um, you, I know you're involved in NFL Players Union, and I could probably ask you tons of questions. I actually in college did a, a paper on the Major League Baseball Players Association. Um, what do, you, what do you think of improving the pensions? You know, why, what is it, three and a half years a guy becomes pension eligible? What do you think about making it maybe one year a guy becomes pension eligible? Give, give me your take on that particular subject. I'm, I'm in full agreement of whatever benefits you can provide the players to the maximum ability you can uh, at any level. And I know the average career of an NFL player is three and a half years. And to be fully vested in all of the vehicles that, for the National Football League, uh, all the vehicles is five years. Okay. Now, in different stages. So, like your severance is year two, your 401k is year two, and then you have, um, you know, your second annuity and, and 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 different things, and then your medical finally kicks in. And um, but I, they do an amazing job. What was the salary cap? I want to say it was two hundred eighty million dollars this past year, if I recall, per team. I can't remember exactly what it was, but a, a large portion of that, of, of I want to say almost twenty million. Uh, was for the benefits for the players. And I'm 100% in, in favor of finding ways to help benefit the players. Um, your, your, your life and your body is permanently altered from playing this game. And it's a choice that we make to play. I want to be really clear. It's not like they're forcing us to play. It's a choice that we make to play, and we're compensated and rewarded very, very highly for it. Uh, but if there's a way to discontinue, like – um, help, help, helping players both medically and, and with uh, their transition into the real world after football. Uh, I'm 100% in favor of that. And I know Pete Carroll in kind of his re retirement type speech and comments that he made when he had his press conference, he talked about trying to celebrate the the former players and, the, and he hopes that the NFL would do a, a better job of celebrating the former players. And I am in firm agreement with, with that uh, because like, I believe that we should honor those before us because they made what the path that we're walking on currently better and smoother. And we should try to leave that path better for the players behind us. And a lot of people do that. And a lot of people care about that. And some people don't, but if you can find a way to give more benefits to the players, longer healthcare, like we have five, if once you're fully vested, you have five years of healthcare for your family when you're done playing, then, then that's it. So, let's find a way to, to create more healthcare for like a, something tangible, you know, the players are going to need. Um, 
if you just give them another hundred thousand dollars or another half million dollars, well, you know, that can be maybe misused or spent in the wrong way where it might not benefit them in the right way. But if you can kind of put some bumpers up and say, look, this is something that you're going to need. Like there's, there's no way fans are, but you're going to be medical. Let's find a way to try to try to encourage that and, and, and talk about that and, and celebrate these former players and treat them the right way. And Mark, not to digress too much, but kind of related. I, I'm a believer that uh, workers' compensation laws should apply to college athletics. If a guy becomes permanently injured while playing college sports, let's, let's protect that man or woman a little more. So I, I agree. And and we as NFL players, we play in obviously multiple states throughout the country. And uh, different states have different workman's comp laws and rules. And, um, you know, it's, it's challenging for players because if a player gets hurt, like in the state of California, playing the um, – the LA Rams or the LA Chargers, um, they have different uh, stipulations than if someone plays in against the Green Bay Packers. I'm not saying I'm not saying that any state is wrong or right for whatever laws they have passed, but maybe just find a way to have a uniform coverage for those type of players. Great points. Yeah. I hadn't quite thought of yeah. that that perspective. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Mark, uh, you've been so just your time. I'm just going to wrap it up now. I want to wrap it up by. Uh, you have anything else you want to share before we conclude the interview? I like to do that in a lot of interviews, kind of, kind of maybe something I missed that, that interests you. And uh, what's in the future for Mark Bruder and your family? You know, Paul, I, I appreciate you inviting me on first and foremost. I want to make sure that I, I make that comment. And it's nice that uh, we can uh, find a way to, to reconnect. And no doubt. It, as we talked about uh, what sports does, what it did for me and because of sports, I mean, Graham, we're talking about football, but you've talked to, to numerous sports folks about numerous uh, sports, uh, you know, baseball, hockey, basketball, whatever it might be. And like, to me, that common thread to, to find a way to, to connect with somebody, I think is awesome. And no for you to be doing this podcast and invite me on, I feel extremely honored. I really oh, do. Marcus, I'm honored and, he would come yeah. on. I really appreciate yeah. it. So it's yeah. great to catch up again after so many years. And, and uh, what is the future for you and your family? So, you know, we have we have five amazing kids uh, and two daughters have already graduated from the University of Washington. Uh, our two sons are currently there. Carson will be graduating this this uh, June and then Braden is a, is a sophomore there. Um, and then we have a six, sixth grader, 12 year old, who's probably going to be the, the best rock star of the, of the whole group. Um, and then we have two foster sons that are that are with us as well. And we're just so blessed to be able to provide some love and nurturing for those two amazing boys. And, um, you know, what's next for us is to continue to enjoy our family. Um, you know, obviously, you know, help our sons through this transition with the, with the new football staff. And, and as we migrate into through the winter and, and into the spring and, uh, you know, for me, it's starting to ramp up a little bit. And for my wife, it's starting to ramp up a little bit as well with her cheer competition season coming up. And then my draft preparation. Um, I'll be leaving tomorrow, actually, uh, for uh, an all-star game in Dallas. And then we start ramping things up. So it'll be, it'll be exciting times for us in, in this spring. Well, great, Mark. Great. Good luck with you, your wife and your kids. And I look forward to watching your sons uh, play for the UW in the fall of 24. So a um, lot, lot ahead. And Mark, thanks so much for doing this. So you and I stay in better touch.